You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Hello again. Um, as I said before, my name is Alex, and I'm a senior down at George Fox University, which is in Newburgh, which feels like an absolute continent away. It's like so far away, but um, I'm so happy to be here today. And, um, you know, I've gotten the opportunity in my life to travel a lot and to go to like over six, con- six continents and see what this is doing. Is this working? To see what God is doing um, all across his world. And the reality is, is that African New Life has been so impacted and touched by who Jesus is that they cannot help but be moved with acts of compassion towards the people of Rwanda. In 1994, there was a genocide in Rwanda, um, and uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, there were two kind of warring tribes, and they went to war with one another, and in, I believe it was a hundred days, over a million people were killed. That has left... Um, this, the country of Rwanda and, and the city of Kigali absolutely scarred. And so there's plenty of orphans and widows and people left without homes and without food. And so African New Life has felt the, in, the, the incredible burden of going into this and bringing the light of the gospel to the city of Kigali, the country of Rwanda, and bringing about renewal and change with acts of compassion in one hand and the gospel in the other. What we saw here was a picture of the Dream Center that's in Kigali, the capital city. And the Dream Center is a place for street children. There's also a church there. And it's a place where they're really kind of figuring out how can we take these kids who live such unstable lives, bring them into a place that that gives them stability and sends them out to be um, rebuilders of the country of Rwanda. Because the reality is, is that when you are poor, Life looks incredibly different than it looks like for us today. And you know, I've seen the poor and I've looked into the face of the orphan, the face of the kid whose parents have abandoned him. And I've seen that situation, but I've also seen the poor liberated. And any time that the poor was liberated, it happened um, when religion was redefined. And so we're going to be in the book of James. I hear that you guys have been in the book of James talking about what does it look like to be a hero doer of the word. And so flip in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26 and 27 today. Um, And I want to talk about this idea of religion redefined, because that really is kind of the premise for the book of James. So yes, James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. You know, new believers the book of James, um, because the, the book of James doesn't really differ between uh, what you do and what you hear. It, it, it largely is talking to a first century um, believer, and we think it's actually the first uh, book written in the New Testament that we have record of. And, and, and it talks about, okay, so now that you know this Jesus— Now that you have seen what he has done, this is what you do in light of that. There's no difference between the two. And and often as new believers, we have just, we've let go of everything that our old life had to offer us, and we're ready to step into the new life of surrender. 
We can't wait to hear what God would have us do. We can't wait to step into that new reality. I remember that when I, was a first, when I first um, became a Christian, it was about four years ago. I'm 21. It was, I was 17 years old. And I remember uh, I could not wait to find the life that God had for me. I knew that everything that I had invested in was worth nothing, and I could not wait to step into all that God would have for me. So let's, let's read from James chapter 1, verse 26 says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James was the brother of Jesus, and so he spent most of his life witnessing grace given away. And if you study the Bible, I I, I go to school because I want to be a pastor, and so we study the Bible, and if you study the Bible in any kind of theological sense, you know that there's kind of a tension between the book of James and kind of the writings of Paul. Paul says that grace is free, and, and it's, it's by faith through grace alone. That's the only way that you come to Christ. And James will say things like, faith without deeds is dead. Well, what is it? Is it works, or is it grace? Well, the reality for James is that he had witnessed what free grace given away through deeds and acts of compassion looked like, and the two were absolutely inseparable. And so James is redefining for his audience what religion actually looks like. The kind of audience that he's writing to, and we need to know this to really kind of grasp uh, the conversation that's taking place, is he's writing to first century believers. So on, on, on the left side, you have the Gentile Greek believers, those who um, have, have come to know about this Jesus and, and found out, oh, the gospel is also for us. It's not just for a certain person, but it's also for us. And so they have decided to follow this Jesus. On the right side, you have these Jewish believers who have the history, the history and the um, heritage of Israel. And, and they're, they're, they're looking through the scriptures at the prophets and realizing, oh, This is Messiah. This is Jesus Christ. And they're choosing to believe. But there's some tension between these groups, and and it has largely to do with socioeconomics. You see, the the Romans had had bought into the Roman system and currency and kind of government. And so the Greeks were were these people that, that that the system had worked out for them. But on the other side, you have the the Jewish people who it was considered idolatry even to have currency. And so it out of the system of the of the the overall economic system and hadn't are were not as well off as the Greeks. And these two groups often came clashing together. Well, in verse 26, it says this, and this gives us a little indicator of who James is talking to. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious, James primarily, and and actually most of the New Testament is written in this kind of these two tensions between writing to the Greeks and writing to the Jews and trying to promote unity and brotherly kindness. Well, James chooses to write to the religious. And the religious were the Jews who who looked at the Greeks and said, you're you're not really believers. And whether they wanted to verbalize that or not, there was this kind of assumed almost, we are the true Christians because we have the heritage of Israel. And James looks to these people, and he, and he looks to redefine the way that they see religion. 
He looks to redefine the way that they, they, they think about their lives, the way that they think about adhering to the law and, and, and who Jesus is kind of in light of that. So verse 26 says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this, person, this person's religion is worthless. I remember when I was a kid, um, I was probably four or five years old, and um, I, I would see those commercials, those World Vision commercials on TV, and my heart would, there was something in my heart that was really disturbed about that. And I remember there was even, um, in our church uh, growing up, there was a, um, a mentally challenged boy. And I remember one day, I, I just recognized that people didn't treat him the same way that I was treated. And I, and I, and I remember, remembered, I asked my mom, I said, Mom, can we have him over to hang out? And I remember he came over, and I vaguely remember, it was a long time ago. Um, but there was this, this really pure and innocent compassion that was in my heart. I remember I'd see homeless men on the street, and, and my, heart was, my heart was moved by that. There was something that I had that they didn't have. And I recognized that that was not right. But as I got older, I, I had to make sense of these things. Like, I had, to, I had to compartmentalize in my mind so that I wouldn't always be inconveniencing myself. I went to Rwanda for the first time when I was 17 years old, and, and previously to that, I had been living an incredibly self-centered life. And, and coming back from, being in Rwanda was amazing and life-changing and, and, and wonderful. But coming back from Rwanda, I had to make sense of this reality that, that actually what we see on the screen is, is really their every single day reality. And so as I through high school and into college, I had to make sense of this. And so I decided to, to tell myself different stories. I told myself that, oh, you know, there's, there's people who God has called entirely to, to helping the poor. And I mean, I'm like, I'm like 18 years old. Like, like, can I really make a difference? And I began to tell myself these different stories. And, and when I was um, 19 years old, I went and I lived in Bolivia, South America. And I was doing a study abroad program. I was living with a family, um, and I was working in an orphanage. And I remember I, I would go to the orphanage, and there was this girl named Kim who worked in the orphanage. And every single day, she absolutely gave her entire life to these kids at this orphanage, poured herself out entirely through her compassion. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I will never um, stop kind of regretting this, but I didn't. I went to the orphanage day after day after day, and, and I always kind of held back a piece of me. Because you see, when we get involved in the lives of the poor, it's going to affect your heart. It hurts to be involved with the poor. And so I began to tell myself these stories. And the other night, I was talking with my mom, and, I, and, and we're having this conversation, and, um, and I'm, I'm kind of expressing, you know, I'm really bitter at this, at this person, and this is this... this mom, and, and you know, yada, 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 and my mom is, is like, well, hey, I've been reading this book called Emotional Intelligence, and, and actually, it, it, what it's talking about is that our emotions are decided by the stories we tell ourselves, and it hit me. I had lost my compassion because I had decided to tell myself a different story than what was reality, and in any situation that we're in, the story that we tell our decides the emotions that we feel. And so I had told myself the story that, well, I don't know that I'm actually really called to the poor, and somebody else is going to do it, and can I actually change anything? 
the reality was that that stole my compassion. In our culture, we have to make things okay. We live in a culture that, that needs to be okay. Having hurt is covered up. And so we have to tell ourselves a different story than maybe what's reality sometimes. You know, African New Life's motto is, um, is that you can't change the world, but you can change the world for one. And I've realized that that is the truth. You know, oftentimes the stories that we tell are the stories that we end up living. And I know that for all of us, like, we want to live a significant life. We want to make a difference in somebody's life. But the reality is, is that if we're telling ourselves a story that doesn't enter into others the same way that Jesus Christ entered into ours, then we're selling ourselves short. We're not actually living out the gospel. Before I went to Rwanda the first time, when I was, when I was 17 years old, I, I remember I was living this, um, this, this really self-centered life, and I was wrecking the people around me, my friends, my parents, uh, the relationships. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I guess what I'll do is I'll, I'll grow up, I'll go to college, I'll get a job, I'll buy a house, and I'll fill my house with stuff, and then I'll get a better job and maybe get married and fill my house with more stuff, and then I'll have some kids, and we'll get a bigger house, and we'll fill it with more stuff, and then we'll get a remodel just so that we can have a room to put more stuff in. And I was terrified that that would be my reality. And I realized that as I, as I began to love others and sacrifice in the way that Christ had sacrificed for me, I came to life. As I got to know God, I was moved into greater life. I realized that the greatest thing in life was to know life itself, and that is to know God. But it begins with choosing to love people. Turn over to Jeremiah, the book of in the Old Testament, right after Isaiah. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah is a prophet of the Lord. He is speaking to the sons of the king of Judah. The king of Judah, kind of the layout of the land was there's a, there's a split in the kingdom of Israel. Israel is up north. Judah is in the south. And uh, this is a prophecy to the sons of the king. Verse 15 in chapter 22, Jeremiah says these words. Do you think that you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is this not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. I love it. It says, do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar. Did not your father eat, or drink, eat and drink and do justice and righteous, righteousness, and it was well with him? The prophet looks at these men who are rich and powerful and competing in cedar and, and are incredibly wealthy, and he says, was not your father okay and he cared for the poor? In Psalm, 41 chapter, or 41 verse 1, it says, Blessed is the one who remembers the poor, for in the day of trouble the Lord will deliver him. Do you see the, the, the absolute absurdity of that? It, the one who even remembers the poor is delivered by the Lord. And what does it say in verse 16? It says, He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is this 
to, is not this to know me, declares the Lord. You see, there is an intricate relationship between caring for humanity and knowing God. And John, flip over to John just real fast. I know we're all over the Bible, and I apologize for this, but John chapter 17 is kind of the crux right before the cross. You see, Jesus has lived this incredibly significant life, having these conversations, performing these miracles. And it all leads up to this, this one statement of purpose of why Jesus has come. In John chapter 17, verse 1, it says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Do you see the link? If Jesus' primary purpose was to bring us into relationship with God and that bringing us into life, and to know God is to care for the poor, there is, there is an incredible link between caring for your brother, caring for your friend, caring for the orphan, for the widow, visiting them in distress, and coming to life. I remember I was talking with my friend Michael um, a couple weeks back, and, I, and, and he's a youth pastor at a church in Beaverton, and he was telling me, um, kind of trying to explain to me how he explains what, it, what it's like to become a Christian. And he was saying, he's like, man, what, wouldn't it be so, wasn't it just an amazing time when TV went from black and white into color? And I don't remember that by any means, so, uh, <laughs> like, apologies. But um, wouldn't that, wasn't that an, an incredible, incredible thing to go from this bland, two-tone uh, vision into this burst of color? And said, that's what it's like to come to know the Lord. To go from living this bland, mere existence of making more money to fill your house with more stuff into this vibrant life of realizing that my love given away is bringing me into relationship with the very creator. And that is powerful. That's going from a two-tone reality into a vibrant life. And so the question that I have come to ask you today is what story are you believing in? Are you buying into the American dream? And we live in Portland, so like what even is the American dream? But like, <laughs> like are you buying into the, the, the story that says that it's all about you or are you buying into the reality that sacrifice equals significance? That sacrifice equals significance. Back to James, in verse 27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James uses this word religion because for the Jew it was familiar. See, they had spent their whole life following this thing called the law. 
The law originally was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and it was, it was a set of rules and regulations in order to, ha- to set Israel aside as God's chosen people, but to bring them into right living before a holy God. But when Jesus came down, he, he changed everything. Because it wasn't a system or, or, or a ladder to climb to get to God. Instead, God came to them. And the reality of Christianity is it's different than any other religion. Because religion tells you, here's the ladder that you climb in order to get to God. But the reality of, of Christianity is, here's God come to you. And you have the choice to come to him. James is looking at his audience using this word religion saying, let me redefine this for you. Because see, religion isn't praying five times a day or going to church or even reading your Bible. That's not religion. What religion looks like is sacrificing in the way that Jesus sacrificed for you. Visiting the orphan. Visiting the widow. Sitting with the poor. There's something powerful about sitting with the poor. Have you ever uh, sat down with a homeless man? I used to um, be a part of this ministry at George Fox. Um, and we would go to Salem, and uh, we'd feed homeless men under the, under the bridge um, in, in Salem. And um, it's a changing of perspective when you choose to sit with the poor, when you choose to enter into somebody else's life. And I believe that's what we're called to as missionaries. If Jesus entered into our lives, entered into our existences, and saw things through our eyes, then he calls us to do the same. You see, Jesus constantly was redefining religion. And so James can't help but do that. You guys remember the story um, of of the, the woman who's caught in adultery. A woman's caught in adultery, and uh, the Pharisees, kind of the leading Jews at the time, bring her out before Jesus, and they say, this woman was caught having an affair with a man that's not her husband. The law says that we should stone a woman like this. What do you say? And it's kind of like this trap for Jesus. And Jesus bends down, and he begins to draw in the sand. And then he looks up into her eyes and glances into theirs. And he said, Let him who has no sin be the first to throw the stone. And one by one, they begin to walk away, one after one after one. And he looks into the woman's eyes and he says, they all left? And she says, yes, Lord. No one's here. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. You see, in that moment, Jesus redefines religion for them all by saying, actually, you can't do it either. You cannot do it either. And the reality is, is when we get to the place where we realize that we can't do religion, that's where Jesus steps in and said, that's okay, because see, I already did it for you. There's this idea of, called altruism, and um, it, it's this idea that you could maybe do something entirely good without any self-interest. That you could, you could sacrifice for somebody, you could do something for someone that you love without having any sort of self-interest. And, and, and the reality, I think, that, that for, for us as humans is that that is impossible without God working in your heart and then through your heart. We can't even visit the poor and the orphan with good motives. I remember when I came back from Rwanda, I had pictures of my trip up on my Facebook. 
And I had a picture of my sponsored child and I up on my Facebook, and, um, and I, I didn't really think anything of it. And somebody commented on it, hey, Alex, that's really cool that you, like, went and, like, did that in Africa. Like, what a good guy. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, hey, I took out my time. I went to Africa. I, like, sacrificed a little bit. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And I'm not, I'm not against, like, having pictures of yourself with African children on your Facebook. Like, I don't have a problem with that. Because I do. Even right now, you can go check. But the, the reality is, is that we are a conflicted people. We have motives. And without Jesus working first in our hearts and then through our hearts, we can't do it. We cannot do it. When we realize that, that the life that he lived, he lived to sacrifice, it changes everything. The pain, the triumph, the miracles, the conversations, the social reformation was all leading up to him giving himself away. Oh, that changes everything for us. When I was in Rwanda, um, uh, it, it was, I remember the night when it was raining incredibly hard, and when it rains in Rwanda, it like pours, like it's like a bucket for like a half an hour, and then it just stops, but it was raining really, really hard, and we had our sponsor children over to the guest house where we were staying to kind of visit with them and, and talk with them and see how they were doing, and um, so we're sitting there with our sponsor kid, Angelique, and um, and we're, we're talking with her, and we're asking the translator, okay, ask her how she's doing, like what's, go- what's going on in, in her um, in her life, like how has she been? And the translator shared with us that she actually had malaria, and that she's, because she was in the hospital for three months. And um, this really shook me. And I, and, I, and I felt like tears welling up in my eyes, and I ran to the bathroom, and I remember I shut the door behind myself, and I laid my back against the wall and slid down. And I could hear the rain pouring outside, and I began to cry. And Jesus himself came and sat next to me. His back hit the wall and he came down and sat next to me and he said, he said, Alex, you okay? I said, no, I'm not okay. I live the most selfish existence in the United States and I get everything that I want and I don't even care about you. And yet this little innocent girl who's had everything go wrong in her life has malaria and has been in the hospital and has nothing. How is that fair? And he looked at me and he said, I was nailed limb by limb on the cross. I gave myself up. I chose to not come down from the cross so that you could give yourself up today. You see, we visit the orphan and the widow because Christ visited us. African New Life is based on two principles that you have in one hand acts of compassion and in the other hand the gospel. And these two things cannot be separated because you see Jesus came as the first missionary into our context. Contextualize himself entirely so that we would go into culture, into Portland, into Africa, into California, into South America, everywhere across the globe and we would visit those who need to hear the gospel. In Matthew 16, verse 25, 
Jesus says these words to his disciples. If anyone would save his life, he would lose it. But him who will lose his life for my sake will find it. The reality is that when we give our lives to sacrifice, we begin coming alive to the reality of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the word that you've spoken today. Lord, I thank you for African New Life. I thank you for just your body, your church of believers. Lord, I thank you for the reality that in and of ourselves we can't do it. And so you did. God, I pray for a response in worship, Lord, and a response in giving to your mission, your agenda, Lord, which is absolute and total love. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.